We are in the series, Finding Contentment in a Busy Life. Finding Contentment in a Busy Life. Today's scripture is found in Philippians and chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 10 through 13 as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi. If you are physically able this morning, I would invite you to stand with me in the honor and reverence of the reading of the Lord's Word. And the Apostle Paul wrote, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And all of God's children said, May God bless the reading of his word today. You may be seated. The beautiful letter of Philippians is an encouraging one. It's always mindful to be reminded that this was not written in a hotel suite, but in Rome while in prison, in captivity. Yes, the words that we just read where Paul said, I've learned to be content, came from captivity, not abundance at this time. The words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has to do with contentment when you put it in context of the letter. This is now an older Paul. As we jokingly say and see the t-shirts, this has not been his first rodeo. He has experienced wonderful times of ministry and he has experienced many hardships. He is an older man reflecting to this church that had sent him monetary supplies for his needs. The church there was dear to him as he was a part of founding the church at Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have learned to be content. He's saying, I appreciate that you have revived your concern for me. I appreciate the fact that you sent money for my needs and the needs of the ministry, but I'm not speaking of need because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Alexander the Great was the crown prince, only 20 years old when his father was assassinated. After rounding up and ruthlessly executing all of his rivals, the boy conqueror began his long march across planet earth with his army of some 30,000 warriors. They covered some 10,000 miles on sandaled feet. Still today, their conquest uh, boggles the mind of even current military gain. The statistics of that amazing odyssey seem almost impossible when you study it. The conqueror's rule spanned more than two million square miles of earth by the time he was 32 years of age. 
When he reached the Indus River, his bone-weary army refused to take on the war elephants of India. After the better parts of two decades, the troops wanted to go home. One ancient historian writes that 32-year-old Alexander the Great sat on the banks of the river there and wept like a baby because there were no more worlds that he could conquer. With an unsatisfied hunger that still gnawed at his restless soul, Alexander marched back to Babylon where he drank himself basically to death, although there are some rumors about his death in June of 323 B.C. died at age 32. You see, the world was never big enough for Alexander the Great. His tutor, Aristotle, often sighed about the young Alexander and said that he could conquer the world, but he was never able to conquer his own passions, the emptiness of his own heart. He conquered so much... But Alexander the Great never knew true contentment. It's an amazing thing. Now, none of us here are like Alexander trying to conquer the world and rule it, but we do have tendencies of discontentment. And like, the, like Alexander, the greatest nation that needs to be conquered is our own heart. We might not be like Alexander the Great in his life, but I believe most of us would like, at least at the surface, to say as the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content in any circumstance. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And so today, may the Lord grant us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive His message today. Let's pray. Father, for a few moments as we contemplate the contentment that you gave the Apostle Paul, even while there, under guard in Rome, would you, Lord, grant us a glimpse of that contentment today that is found in Christ alone. And Lord, might you use these words in your Holy Spirit to change the lives of those that have assembled today, mine included. In Jesus' name, amen. Discontentment, murmuring, ranting, complaining, grumbling do not need to be taught, amen? I don't ever remember a time, Jason, where my mother and father sat me down and said, Alan, we really need to teach you how to complain. We need to teach you how to grumble. We need to teach you how to rant. We need to teach you how to be discontented. They come naturally. They are natural unto us. They do not need to be taught. If there were attacks on grumbling, complaining, murmuring, and discontentment, we all would probably be more careful with our words, right? I I read where... Back in the 1800s in Europe, there was a tax on windows. If you were wealthy and had a lot of windows, you were taxed by the amount of windows that you had. Basically, you were ta- they were taxing sunlight. And so even wealthy people were blocking up many windows in their house so they wouldn't have to pay taxes. 
It's the same on our words. If we were taxed by the words that we spoke, we would probably be more careful. But murmuring and grumbling, complaining, ranting, discontentment, they come as natural as a horse shaking his head when the flies are aggravating them. You see, weeds do not have to be planted, amen? Michelle, you were pulling weeds this week, right? You didn't have to plant those, did you? They just came up. Weeds do not need to be planted. They just grow and need to be pulled. And it's the same with complaining and discontentment in a Christian's life. It's been said that some are born crying, live complaining, and died dissatisfied. And unfortunately, you know that's true. But beloved, this is not the life that God has for us to live. And it's not the life that Christ left the glories of heaven, put on flesh, walked among us for 33 years, went to the cross and bearing our sin and taking upon Himself the wrath of God as the sacrificial lamb, being lain in a borrowed tomb and resurrected on the third day, ascended into heaven for us. So discontentment and complaining and meanness and ranting is not the life that Christ came to give us. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Not a life of total discontentment. Not a life of total crime. Not a life of constant aggravation. Not a life of dying dissatisfied, each a little more every day. And because discontentment is natural to the human condition, that no one has to teach us how to be discontented or to complain, contentment is something we learn with the help of the Lord. Look again, if you will, at verse 11. Again, the apostle is thankful for the money and supplies that the church had sent him, but he said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have what? Learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And and like patience, we all want patience, right? And how many times have we just said, Lord, give me patience? Contentment is the same way. It is something that God isn't just going to give because we pray the words, Lord, make me content. The apostle said, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. You see, being content is a daily decision or a series of decisions that we make each day as we choose gratefulness and learn contentment by focusing upon the Lord's blessing and His promises more than the things that don't go our way or the certain circumstances that we're in. We learn it. And also we learn it in the circumstance. Whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. We learn it with the help 
of the Lord. We choose gratefulness instead of discontentment. You know, it's hard to be grateful and discontent at the same time, isn't it? And so we choose one or the other. God will give strength, and the Apostle Paul addressed that as he as as also he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content and trust Him in any situation, whether I'm hungry or full, whether I'm in prison or out of prison, whether I'm being beaten or enjoying a sunset on the sea while traveling to the next missionary destination. God will give strength. But we must choose to trust Him and put in the work. There's an old story in the church world is told about a, an old farmer who bought an old place in the country that had been abandoned many years before. It was in terrible need of repair. The house was in bad shape, shutters fallen on the ground, windows broken, part of the roof was missing. It was an eyesore. The land also had been neglected. Tall weeds took over the landscape of the yard. It looked like a deserted farmhouse. That's what it was. After several months of hard work and investment, the place was beautifully transformed. The story goes that one day a young pastor made a visit to the newly renovated property and he said to the old farmer, he said, Wow, it is amazing what God has done to this place. It just isn't the same place. Look at it. I mean, it's amazing. Look what God has done. You should be so happy with what God has done. And the old farmer shot back quickly. Well, you should have seen it when God had it to himself. You know, it's a lot like that with our attitude. We have to put in the work. God will give us strength. He will give us blessing. He will give us wisdom. But we have to make decisions to be grateful instead of discontented each and every day. To praise the Lord instead of curse others. To rejoice in the Lord instead of grumbling and complaining and ranting. As we look at these things today... I, I, first of all, I go back to our first week and I ask this question again, just in a little different way. When we're looking at life, what does what's making us discontent hold any lasting or eternal value? Will it matter in six months, two years, 20 years, 30 years, 60 years? Will it matter in 100 years when we're gone? The, the truth is this, is that we add a lot of things into our life that really we've done ourselves and then our fear of taking care of them or losing them or whatever is what brings so much stress and discontentment. It's a life that God really never planned for us to live in many ways. And that's the point of this series, finding contentment in a busy life. We've added a lot of these things onto ourselves, and then we grumble and complain and are discontented in our life. We live crying and complaining and dissatisfied. 
First uh, Timothy chapter 6, 6 and 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. Now, think about that in the eternal perspective. If we didn't bring anything in that we've added into our life, and we can't take anything out with us, then that helps us with the question, is what the things that are making us dissatisfied, do they hold eternal value? Did we bring them into this world? Are we going to be able to take them out with us? The Apostle Paul went on to write to Timothy, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Again, Paul rejoiced that the church at Philippi helped him, but he had learned to be content in jail. Again, this isn't the first time he had suffered persecution. He knew where he was. He was content whether they helped him or not. He was excited. He was blessed. He was happy. He was thankful. But he said, I, I rejoice that you've remembered me. But I'm, I'm okay either way. Not only do we have to look at the eternal value and look at the world through God's eyes and not our eyes, but contentment is also learned when we accept the fact that we can't do all things that need to be done. Do you hear me this morning? Contentment will come, one, when you categorize, is this something I've put on myself or something God desires for me? Is it eternal or is it temporal? But also, with the realization, I can't do all things that need to be done. And you know what? God doesn't expect you to. As a matter of fact, I want to say this. When you get to the point where you think all depends on you, God might drop you in a prison cell just to show you that it all doesn't depend on you. How many times do we say, I can't do everything! You're not supposed to. No, the world doesn't hang in your hand or mine. And we need to quit acting like it does. Some of you are still laughing. You've heard that at home, haven't you? Don't answer that. You know, Paul, you think about his life. Paul could have been very bitter that he was imprisoned in Rome. When there was so much more work to be done, so many better things that he could have been doing with his life and ministry. Wouldn't it have been easy? Because we say it too. Think of all the things I could be doing good for the Lord if I didn't have all these things to do. If my health was better. If I had more money. If I had a better job. It's the same situation as Paul could have said. I'm sitting here in a prison cell. There's more people to reach for the Lord. And it's like the Lord is just reminding him, Paul, I got this. You be obedient where you are. And the truth is this, if we can't trust him where we are in the prison cells, we won't trust him and be obedient when we're free. Our contentment is manifested or revealed, or our lack of contentment is revealed in the circumstances we're in, whether there's a lot or little, whether we're hungry or full. 
It's there that our true contentment in the Lord is seen and revealed. You see, beloved, Paul could have said, this is not right. You called me here. And now I'm sitting in a prison cell writing letters. But imagine, we would not have had the prison letters if Paul would not have been locked in a cell for periods of his ministry and life. And Philippians is one of the most encouraging letters that you can find in the New Testament. As he's encouraging other Christians in their life while he himself is under guard. Beloved, listen to me this morning. There is the life that we want or that we dream up for ourselves, so to speak, and I'm as guilty as you of having those great expectations, and there's the life that is. And there are times in the life that is that we have to wipe our tears and wash our face and fix our eyes upon Jesus. There are times of little and there are times of abundance. And we must be grateful in both situations and trust the Lord. Trust the one who gave us eternal life. Trust the one that has called us into the ministry. Christine Haggai, she's the wife of John Edmund Haggai. He's a Christian author, ministry leader. He's in his 90s now. I don't know for sure if Christine is still living. Uh, part of this story comes from a book that John Haggai wrote many years ago called My Son Johnny. He speaks of his wife Christine. She was a proclaimed and outstanding singer in America. She had already in that day had big offers from record labels and was looking forward to a full schedule of concerts. She had an agent that predicted that she would be a recording star. Singing was her life, and performing was her passion. She and her husband became pregnant, and everything changed one horrible night when Christine gave birth to the baby they called Johnny. You see, the doctor was drunk when he delivered Johnny. And he broke several of the baby's bones as he pulled him from the birth canal. The violence of that delivery resulted in severe hemorrhaging of the newborn's brain. The doctor did lose his license even back in that day, but still, little Johnny was changed forever, and so was the family's. During the first year, eight doctors said that he could not possibly survive. For his first two years, Christine had to feed him every three hours with a special feeder. It took her more than an hour to accomplish each feeding. During those two years, Christine never left home. She didn't get more than two hours of sleep at any one time. And you think about this, the voice that once captivated thousands, now sang lullabies to a child with severe disabilities. Johnny lived 24 years. He was totally paralyzed, only able to sit in a wheelchair with the assistance of a full body brace. Convinced that God had called her to care for her son, Christine never went back to the concert stage. 
She bathed, clothed, and lifted Johnny's little limp body in and out of the wheelchair, spoon-fed him, and above all, Christine sang to little Johnny. Her husband, John, wrote in the book, My Son Johnny, she never once resented the fact that her music career died that day that Johnny was born. He was also amazed of how she totally forgave the doctor that did this in the birth of her child. And she even cried when the doctor, many years later, committed suicide himself. She felt that God had given her a voice to sing her boy in the heaven. Even more amazing was the fact that she never complained, her husband wrote, that she was marooned in a small world with a helpless son who demanded every ounce of her energy and patience. That's a true story. You see, true contentment in Christ can be found anywhere, and that's what Paul's writing from a prison cell, I can do all things through Christ. A lot of people are having that tattooed and plastered on their wall, but they really, to be honest with you, we don't know what that verse means. We think it's something to spew out, when, uh, but the truth is, Paul's saying, when he says, I can do all things through Christ, Paul's saying, I have learned to be content in any and every circumstance. To trust the Lord, whether I'm going into a new land to share the gospel or whether I'm sitting under Roman garden. Now that means something. And that changes the whole outlook of that scripture. You see, the true key to contentment then is genuinely found in Christ and in Christ alone and our faith in Him. That's where true contentment is found. In Him we find eternal life and abundant life. In Him we find a new birth that can change our life, that can cause us to be grateful. In Him we are given eyes to see Satan's traps, and we are given eyes to see God's eternal blessings. In Him we find a King, a Lord that is in control, relieving us of many worries if we'll just Trust Him. In Him, Jesus, we can do all things because He gives us the strength needed to be content. Whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, in Christ alone, our hope is found. The question for those that know Christ is this. This is a question for me. This is a question for you. Is Christ enough? Am I content in Christ? As another old hymn speaks of being satisfied with Jesus. Let me say this, when we think of advertisement, the advertising industry is, is really brilliant. Whether it's a lizard or an emu or whatever, it's, it's really brilliant. What terrible advertising for Christ and a Christian. How distasteful a thing it is to say that we know Christ, but we're always discontented. That others, and let me say this, this begins in the home, beloved. 
that others are always hearing us rant and grumble and complain, and especially when things don't go our way, or we don't get the life that we think we should have had. That's a terrible representation of Jesus Christ's words, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This might seem a hard thing to say, but if a soldier cannot fight better than a preacher, he needs to have his rank removed. Amen? And if someone who knows Christ as Savior and Lord cannot be content any more than a lost world without Christ, we deserve to be removed from the family of God. And I said that's a hard thing to say, and it's it won't happen if you're truly a Christian because God loves you. And when He saves someone, He saves someone. He will not remove us from the family, but Christ is asking us today, each new day, to strive for contentment in Him. To be grateful. And just to trust Him with His world. Would you do that today? Do you truly know Him? You see, the truth is, there are a lot of people who say they know Christ, and they say, well, I was baptized, and that's a great indicator, and that's important. This Baptist preacher is not going to downplay baptism, but there's been a lot of people dunk that don't know the Lord. There's been a lot of people who've walked an aisle at just as I am on the 12th verse that don't know the Lord. They might have had a cool feeling. The atmosphere might have been nice. But I, I want to ask you, do you really know the Lord? Is He enough for you in this life? Have you given your heart to Him, really? Or is He just kind of like a picture on the wall? It, it, it's nice that it hangs there and we can look at Jesus every now and then. But do you truly know Him? Have you given your heart to Him? Have you truly received His grace? Do you even see your need for salvation? And He is the Savior. Would you come today and give your life to Him? To Jesus? Would you trust Him? Would you begin a road of contentment? Would you begin a journey of contentment in Christ, not only in this life, but in the life to come throughout eternity? Beloved, don't settle into the lie that I'll only be truly content when I get to heaven. You can start true contentment now. The Apostle Paul proves that to us with the help of the Lord. People like Christine Haggai never got to pursue her singing career but she sang her son into heaven and she was content with that. Whatever circumstance you're going through today, does it even hold eternal value? Is it something that you've picked up as extra baggage or is it something God really desires for your life? You can be content today in Christ if you'll come to Him.